your thoughts about his money and her money in a marriage? Is it wise or is it unwise to have his money and her money or maybe somewhere in between? As you ponder my questions, please include your thoughts on what a one-flesh marriage means, biblically speaking. Perhaps you have heard the cliche about the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. Is that a good idea when it comes to marriage money? Is it wise for couples to have a worldview and, and practice where they don't know what the other one is doing with their money? Lots of questions. Well, I want to explore that in this podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I am actually sharing an article that I have written out for you. I am putting that article in podcast. I'm also making a recording at the same time. And so you can read, you can watch, or you can listen. And so you pick the resource that you want. You can find this article and the podcast and the video will be inside of the article in addition to the video being on our YouTube channel. And so this is the title that you're looking for on our website. His money, her money is not biblical common sense. All right, let me jump into this uh, this article on on finances. Again, thank you so much for joining me for those who are listening by the podcast. The left hand and right hand give no thought to disunity or isolation or competition. That's not how the left hand and the right hand work. If they could speak for themselves, the left hand and the right hand, uh, they would say that they are really one. They are synchronized. They, they work together, accomplishing a singular task. The biblical idea of one fleshness echoes a similar sentiment. Paul could not be more straightforward when he talked about this marriage concept to the Ephesians. As you listen to this paragraph that I'm about to read to you, think about how this text could apply to your view of money and marriage. The passage of Scripture is Ephesians 5, verses 28 and 29, and this is what it says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. You hear the unity in this passage. There are no degrees of one fleshness in marriage. It's just one. It's just one flesh. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. The left and the right hand do not slowly become part of a baby's body at birth. They're all in, all the time, right from the beginning. No exceptions for a healthy baby. And when a couple mad marries, they are positionally one flesh in God's mind, though they will spend their entire lives functionally growing deeper and deeper into what it means to be one flesh, practically speaking. 
Those are the two concepts with marriage, positionally married and functionally married. When you get married, you are positionally one flesh. You can't be any more, any less, positionally one flesh. Of course, working that out practically, that's what I mean by functionally growing deeper into what it means to be one flesh. Listen to Moses and Paul when they talk about the marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Moses said this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then let's move ahead several centuries, and we land in Ephesians 5, verse 31. This is what Paul said, kind of echoing what Moses said in Genesis 2.24 in Ephesians 5.31. It says this, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The couple's burden and opportunity are to assimilate into what God has appointed them to become when they are fully mature. Covenant partners are, are, are constantly moving away uh, from their parents, and they are simultaneously drawing near to each other. A man and a woman will have to work hard to be one flesh. And the initial key in that process is determining which way they plan to lean. Are you leaning into the marriage or are you leaning out of the marriage? Now, what about you? If you are married, how would you answer the question? Are you leaning into your marriage, meaning you are all in, that is your intention, or are you leaning out of the marriage in, in one way or part of a way or completely, which would be really horrible? Paul essentially repeats the Genesis text in his famous marriage passage in Ephesians. I read to you five 531. His direction is clear as far as which way a couple should be leaning. A new couple should push away from their parents while leaning into their newly established home. The new couple disconnects from their origins and leans into a new agreement. They're one flesh, independent, God-sustaining domestic empire. That's what a marriage is, a one-flesh, independent, God-sustaining domestic empire. The marriage-leaning formula is enormous, and how you think about it will establish your marital trajectory for the rest of your lives. Now, you have probably heard the analogy of two ships leaving the harbor side by side, and they were only a few degrees off regarding their eventual destinations. But only being a few degrees off, one ship landed in England and the other ship ported in Africa. And just because you're side by side at the altar, it does not mean that you're going to end up side by side at the end of your life. And so if you hope to finish well, you have to determine from the beginning that you will be intentional about total assimilation, leaning into your marriage in every possible way. Now, one flesh is how it sounds. One flesh 
Those who want to be one flesh understand it. They think about it. They seek to become it. Those who don't want to commit fully to the marriage, they act as though it it doesn't exist. One one flesh isn't really real. It's just a, a Christian thing. Or maybe they quibble over the things they want to keep for themselves because they really don't want to assimilate, leaning into each other, becoming one flesh. There used to be a time when married couples carried the same name. Did you know that? I realize that might sound odd to a younger generation, but if we lived not so many decades ago, my wife and I, we would be called Mr. and Mrs. Rick Thomas. Now, on my birth certificate, it says Ricky for real. It doesn't say Richard, but don't tell anybody that because it just doesn't sound right. It seemed like it should be Richard, but we would do Mr. and Mrs. Ricky Thomas. Our children were watching the I Love Lucy show, a a show that was in the 50s and replayed. It's been replaying ever since, and there are a few of those episodes where they call uh, Lucy uh, or call them Mr. and Mrs. Ricky Ricardo, and our children were watching that a number of years ago, and they said, why do they say that? And that's when we had this little talk. Well, that's the way people talked back then, and that that comes out of this concept of being one flesh, Mr. and Mrs. Rick Thomas. How does that strike you? Now, I'm not advocating that we go back to yesteryear's appellations, but there should not be anything wrong with it, honestly. What I am advocating, though, is that Christians come to a better understanding and practice of what it means to become one flesh in their marriages. We need to discuss what it's like to have unification and harmony in the union, which is broad in its sweep. It leaves no part of the individual self unchallenged. It is two people intentionally seeking to be one in all things, one flesh. Let me give you a few examples of immediate and long-term one flesh marriage goals. If you're reading this in the article, I would encourage you to go get the article. And again, the title of it is, His Money, Her Money is Not Biblical Common Sense. By the way, I'm spelling the word sense, C-E-N-T-S, a little play on the language here. But if you're reading the article, just read this out loud. Husband and wife, read this out loud together. Here are a few aspirations for a one flesh marriage. You would read this. We are one in goals, dreams, ideas, hopes, Christ, church, work, children, holidays, passion, worship. We're one. We are one in discipleship, devotion, saving, spending, investing, repentance, relatives, maturity, accounting, Confession, friends, eating, giving, vision, sleep, sex, health, planning, generosity, exercise, and sharing. And you can add your thoughts to that list as well. And I'm sure you can continue to add to that list. It's quite long and it is eclectic as you heard the varying words. And it does not matter what the category is. The couple should be leaning into becoming more and more one in how they live out their lives before God and each other and the community. Now, I realize some people will think this means you should be like, well, you're talking about becoming identical twins, which is not what one flesh means at all. I mean, being identical would actually hinder the grander possibilities of one flesh living 
Not only that, I mean, one of you would not even be needed if you are identical. I mean, Lucia and I could hardly be more unlike each other. Those folks who know us and know us well could list many areas where we are different, but they would quickly tell you that there is a cool quality of oneness in our relationship. That's because we have always sincerely strived to be one flesh, though not identical twins. One flesh means we can be very different, but we are still one flesh. It's like a coin. Maybe that would be a good way to to think about it. There are heads and there are tails, and so it is unity and diversity, and power, a beautiful micro-picture of the body of Christ. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. For example, Lucia loves going to restaurants for, for different reasons than I do. For her, it is an experience, a positive experience. For me, it is a, a, a task to test my endurance and, and check off my list. I have a utilitarian approach to food. Food serves a utilitarian purpose to provide energy to keep you going. Plus, I do not hear that well, and, and restaurants tend to be noisy, and so it's not really most of the time, it's not a blessed experience for me. For Lucia, it has been a near-worship experience with culinary adventures. But we are one flesh when it comes to eating. Let me explain. You see, historically, let's go back in time when Lucia first met me, she discovered a lot of, of hamburger help, helper in my cupboards. If you don't know what hamburger helper is, it is just a, a box full of stuff that you add water to and, and heat up and eat. And so when she first met me, she prayed something like this, Lord Jesus, help this boy, please. And then when I first met Lucia, I discovered a lot of cooked meals at her home with with her parents. And I prayed, Lord Jesus, thank you for this girl. We were very, very different. And then after we married, we had several discussions about food. Those discussions were not between two competitors, but between two people who wanted to learn about each other so that we could better serve each other. And food was one topic among many that we continue today. It was not about it was not it was not about keeping from losing something, but it was a sincere desire, a sincere effort to gain something. We were no longer two people seeking personal advantage, but one flesh who wanted to grow in our understanding of each other so that we could better represent Christ and his church. I intuitively knew that my Adamness was missing something. There is something that I am missing and that her Eveness had the perfect matching piece for me. I needed a rib. And Lucia was the perfect rib to to come assimilate in me. Our goal was to enjoy the ongoing adventure of figuring out how to put it all together in a unified oneness so that we could magnify God's name through the mystery of being one flesh. We knew there could be no secrets about how we thought about food. We had to talk about it. We did not have ulterior motives to persuade the other person to do it my way or the highway. That was not our attitude, even though our perspectives at our 
our family of origin and the way that we thought about it was radically different, but we wanted to learn how we could best be one flesh. And so you may ask, well, how did your one flesh food preferences work out? Well, first of all, it mattered little to either of us, and and that is very important. Married partners are not or should not be competitors, but best friends who seek to glorify God through a one flesh union. For example, Lucia is okay hitting a drive through at Chick-fil-A, and there are times when we need to get it and, and go. And I'm okay to take her out for Asian, her her favorite food. Few things bring me more pleasure than enjoying my wife enjoying Asian food. I did not change her a lot, and she did not change me much. Changing wasn't the point regarding our food preferences. The gospel taught us that if we learn to set aside what we like for the greater good of the other, we both will benefit. And that was the case. And so it's not unusual in counseling situations for lack of one flesh practice regarding money. And you'll see that if you've done a lot of counseling, oftentimes money will be a part of the problem, or it will be in there somewhere as a problem. And I do not know how this works out in the greater body of Christ, but it has been my uh, typical experience for couples to have, for example, his money, her money problems where their two preferences divide them. An evident lack of understanding and applying the gospel to marriage money was apparent in these situations. The Bible tends to lean toward marital community, a marital community pot from which both partners work. If you're seeking to be one flesh in your marriage, being one flesh in money should be a no-brainer, especially if the gospel is the accent mark of your covenant. A gospel-infused couple has nothing to fear nothing to hide, nothing to protect, because their most significant need in life went away when God regenerated them. And if we are gospel-infused people where the gospel is animating us, it is removing all of those traces of sin that have hindered us in our past, and we are slowly maturing as we're putting away that former manner of life, and we're growing into this concept that I I don't have anything to fear, and I don't have anything to hide, and I, I don't have anything to protect because I've seen the power of the gospel at the cross through regeneration, and if God can take care of my most significant problem in life, he can take care of all of my other problems too. Therefore, there's no reason for me to have hang-ups about marriage money. Not pursuing monetary unity. It's not just a financial issue in the marriage, but it is a systemic problem that speaks to ununified marriage in other areas too. It is the tip of the iceberg. You won't find division in one area of your marriage and not know or not experience division in other areas as well. You might not perceive those other areas, but if you ask the right questions and begin to tease out the couple, you will find that this is just the tip of the iceberg. If a couple cannot be one flesh in their money, you will likely find other fractures in their relationship. Alternatively, 
one flesh in finances means the couple is accountable to each other, and they have a singular vision regarding how they relate to money. It is not to say the wife doesn't have any of her own money to spend. It's not to say that the husband doesn't have any money to spend, but it means that they are one when it comes to money. Let me give you an illustration. Each couple, now, of course, a guarded illustration, because each couple must work out how they handle money according to the peculiarities of the patterns. And there are a zillion ways to do this because each covenant, each marriage is different. And so there cannot be a one-size-fits-all. And so when I illustrate, I want you to have that in view. This is our way, not your way. These are things that we have done to lean into the marriage. So each couple needs to be willing to sit down and talk about accomplishing one flesh in money matters. Now, I'm going to share how we live out our monetary one fleshless. But again, I, I won't really highlight this, that I would never expect anybody to do it exactly the way we do. It is our way, but not necessarily the best way for you. And here's how it works. I mean, this is not an exhaustive treatment. This is a short podcast. But Lucia handles nearly all of our finances. We're one flesh. So it doesn't matter who manages the money because we're one flesh. And though I could do it, and I did do it for the first few years of our marriage, we found it easier for her to handle the finances once she became a full-time stay-at-home mom. And so you can change even in midstream as we did many years ago. Here are a few ways that describe our, our money habits. For example, uh, we both have the freedom to buy things. Uh, two, we talk about all expenditures outside the ordinary day-to-day expenses. And so if we were going to buy a big item, like a washing machine or whatever, we would talk about it. Number three, we have a budget. Number four, we mutually agree on, on how we spend money. Number five, we, we have an open, transparent, and accountable financial relationship. Number six, we have several investments. Number uh, seven, She knows what I do with our money. And uh, number eight, I know what she does with our money. You see, money is a means to glorify God, not an end to satisfy ourselves. If we're rich, we're both rich. If we're poor, we're both poor. We are a team working on the same financial page, trying to glorify God with the money that he gives us to steward. Of course, stewardship is the biggest elephant in the room when it comes to money. The most obvious thing about the whole financial discussion is that our money is not ours. There is no his money or her money. There's none whatsoever, not a cent. It's God's money. Ironically, two people in a marriage who quibble over money are quibbling over someone else's money. They're fighting over something that they do not own. There's an implied form of stealing here when we're quibbling over money that doesn't even belong to us, when we selfishly argue about how we can benefit from something that we do not possess. Of course, there's also, let's say, a mild form of deception, as well as biblical immaturity. 
Imagine someone loaning a husband and a wife $1 million to build a structure downtown for himself. The guy who has the money wants a structure built for himself. And at the top of the structure, when it's all said and done, the husband wants his name placed on it so that everyone would know that it's his structure. It's not his structure. But he wants to spread his fame to the world. The problem is that the money was not his. He built the building at the behest of the one who owed, owned the money. It's not our name on the money we have or all the things we have accumulated because of the money the Lord gives to us. He gives it to us to steward. Christian couples alternatively realize this. So they enter into mature discussions about money with God's fame on the tips of their tongues. The first point of concern for these believers is not about his money, her money, but it's about God's glory and how they can work in a one-flesh way to magnify his greatness through his finances. The title of this podcast and the article that I just shared with you is His Money, Her Money is Not Biblical Common Sense. If you would like to read this article, I would love for you to do it. Those listening to my podcast, you can also watch the video version as well. And so you can read, watch, or listen. And before I wrap up, I do have a brief call to action. We like to put a call to action at the end of our content because my desire is that I, I don't want people... If, if they want to read the article, then I want them to benefit in a way more than just reading it, because you'll read it and you'll go on to the next thing, and it will only land in short-term memory, and we want it to go into long-term memory that this content will work into your psyche, it will work into your soul. And so in order to do that, you have to do more than read, watch, or listen. You have to spend time thinking about it, and that's why we put call to action under nearly all of our uh, podcasts. And so here are a few questions for you to think about with this article. Number one, are you one flesh in your money? That's a yes or no. It's a close-ended question, I realize. But are you one flesh in your money based on what you have just heard from this podcast? Will you have a discussion about this with your spouse if you're married to see where you are on the same page, how you differ, and any specific and practical ways that you can change. Now, if you can't have this discussion, then like what I was saying earlier, there's not only a financial fracture in the One Flesh Union, but there are other fractures that are happening as well, and that is a problem. And so if you cannot have this discussion, then maybe you want to seek some help so that you can uh, heal all of those other fractures that are in the marriage too. But are you a One Flesh? Are you One Flesh in your money? What ways are you on the same page? What ways do you differ? And what specific and practical ways can you change? Question number two. What does a lack of one flesh living in money reveal about other areas of a person's marriage? Now, I would like for you to freely speculate about this. Then maybe you can use your own marriage as an example, as an illustration. I, I don't know. Or, or just think about what could really be going on in addition, or what does the lack of money unity 
reveal about other possible areas where they are fractured. If this problem is the tip of the iceberg, which it is, then speculate on how other aspects of the relationship could be experiencing disharmony. And again, if this is you, uh, it would be very important that if you can't uh, self-heal the one flesh, you and your spouse, that you reach out and find the help that you need. Finally, question number three. If there are any areas that you need to address in your marriage, will you make a plan to change what the Lord pinpoints? If the Holy Spirit has pinpointed something just now as you have listened or watched uh, this podcast, uh, this article, would you uh, not just pinpoint it, but would you start writing it out? Would you start working through it? Now, perhaps speaking to your pastor or a spiritual leader in your life, whomever that may be, maybe even finding a financial advisor. There may be some other practicalities that you need to take care of. Would you do this? This would be absolutely essential. The title of the podcast, the article, the video, his money, her money is not biblical common sense. And if you want to discuss this, I realize that many people who come to us do not have an avenue to where they can uh, talk to other people. We do hear that regularly on our forums, and so we have created these free forums not as a replacement for, for pastoral leadership or pastoral authority. We we do have a very high view of the local church, and, and from our view and from our ministry, all roads lead to the local church, and that would be our first option for you, but I'm also a realist. I, I don't live in a delusional world. I, I understand how the world works, and that's not always the case for all people. And so if we can serve you, even though it's not the best answer, uh, it will be a supplemental answer for you, and I would love for you to jump on our community forums. Now, if you don't know how to get on them, one lady said today that she was struggling, and and I recognize that with some people do with technology, that uh, passwords and usernames and so forth, that it's not intuitive for them, not a problem. Uh, I want you to contact our executive assistant, and she will be able to walk you through how to get on the forums. But the big thing is they're free to you, and so you come to us and you ask whatever question whether it's about finances or if you have something else on your mind, I want you to take the time to ask those questions so we can serve you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.